0: God bless you. Man, Jesus Christ is everything that you need. Multi gen choir just sang that here. He's everything that we need. If you don't think so, my prayer is before the service is over, and you know that, that He's everything that you need. And at the end of the message, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. If you haven't gotten your elements, they're back there in the foyer. And if you're a believer, you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a believer, follower of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper with us as we remember who he is and what he's done and the difference that he makes in our life. And that's so important. Just this week alone, I've gotten a couple different articles about nuns. Now, not Catholic nuns, but nuns, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Nuns are people who check on the box when they fill out an application or different things. When it says, what religion are you? They check none. And so it it means they have no religion. When when asked about the religious life, they say they have no religion, nothing in particular, none of the above. They have no religious preference. They're not active religiously. And they're called the nuns. Scholars tell us that nuns now make up 23% of adults in America. That's one out of every four adults in America say they're nuns. They have no religious affiliation. That's 36 million adult Americans. A sharp increase. This now nuns is the fastest growing group in America, especially among millennials. And millennials are those who are between the age of 28 and 43. All three of my kids are millennials. and, And they make up most of the nuns. Now here's the thing about nuns, they are not atheists. They're not atheists. Only about 3% of those folks say they're atheists where they don't believe in any God whatsoever. Nuns say they respect Jesus. They, they like hearing stories about Jesus. They, 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 think, they love it how he's a champion for those who are on the outcasts of society. And m- many nuns have friendly thoughts about Jesus Christ. They simply do not believe in him as their Lord and savior. They don't believe he is the Messiah. They don't believe he is the savior of the world. So what does friendliness to Jesus mean? Because they're friendly, you know, they're a fan of Jesus. Does that really account for anything? If you admire Jesus, but you do not follow him as Lord, what kind of person does that make you? According to the word of God, that means you're spiritually lost. You're spiritually lost. And 36 million Americans feel that way about Jesus Christ. They like him. They're a fan of his, but they don't follow him as Lord and Savior. And I believe the reason they don't is because they don't know the real Jesus. They don't know the real Jesus. So the, so the positive side about nuns is that they're open to Jesus. I think the reason so many of them reject him or don't want to follow him is because they've never seen or heard the real Jesus. We've been studying through the Gospel of Luke, we're now in chapter seven, and we come to four scenes in the Savior's life. There's four windows in in chapter seven when we see who Jesus Christ really is. And my prayer is for nuns, for you, for me, is that we really see the real Jesus, because he's more than just a good guy, he's more than just a good teacher, you know, he is everything that you need. He is certain and true. So in this chapter, the good doctor, Luke was a doctor. The good doctor has recorded for us four encounters that Jesus Christ had with four very different people. First one is with a Roman soldier. Second one, a Jewish widow. Third one is a prophet of God. And the last one is a prostitute. So we're gonna see four different people who were suffering, who were in trouble in some way. And then they met Jesus. There's a man who was troubled over his dying servant we're going to see a mother who's grieving over the death of of her only son we're going to see a a very perplexed prophet of god who's locked up in prison and we're going to see a single woman a sinful woman who's seeking a fresh start a new beginning so we're going to look at the whole chapter but we're going to start with the first 10 verses so if you're able you're able would you please stand with me out of reverence and honor of god's holy word Jesus just got through preaching a sermon, right? And now we see him in action. And what's neat is Jesus didn't just say it. He did it. He lived it. When When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and was about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. You may be seated. Four snapshots, windows of who Jesus really is and how Jesus Christ is who you really need because he is everything you need. First, we see Jesus Christ is the Lord who responds to faith. And we see that in those first 10 verses. We see a Roman centurion. He had sent orders. And he sent some elders of the Jewish synagogue to come to Jesus' disciple and to come to Jesus for help. Now, a centurion is a commander of about 100 men. Centurions were the best of the best of the Roman soldiers. They were trained to be brutal. But this centurion was different it says in verse 2 that he highly favored his servant. Verse 5, the Jewish folks said he loves our nation. He actually helped build our synagogue, our place of worship. So this guy was different. He, he was respected by the Jews. He was a humble man. In verse 6, he said, Lord, don't even trouble yourself because I don't even deserve for you to come under my roof. This centurion, this Roman soldier had an immense respect for Jesus. This centurion recognized something about Jesus that other people had not fully grasped Verse 6 is the key. He called him Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And by using that term, he shows he knew two things. First, he knew that he was not personally worthy before the Lord. He knew he was the Lord, the CEO, the boss, the son of God, the Messiah. Verse 7, that's why the centurion said, that's why I do not even consider myself worthy to come to you. I know who you are. But second, he knew the power of Jesus' word. He knew he was Lord, the Messiah, the son of God. And that's why in verse 7 he says but you just say the word Jesus and my servant will be healed he knew who he was and that he wasn't worthy as a centurion he was a sinner and that Jesus had all the power in the world and notice verse 9 when Jesus heard this he was amazed at him I tell you I have not found such great faith even in Israel now, that's a stunning statement from Jesus Jesus recognizes the quality of this man's faith, and he recognizes it as being above board. It's extraordinary. He he recognizes that this man's faith surpasses the faith of all God's chosen children, the Israelites. He said, I've never seen that kind of faith, even among God's people, the Israelites, God's chosen people. And so this first scene helps us get to know Jesus. Verse 6 says, so he went with them. And what we see, what I want you to see here is that Jesus Christ is caring He's a very caring person. He didn't, he didn't have a personal relationship with any of these people, the centurion, the servant, the elders that came to see him, yet he went to see this sick and dying man because Jesus, Jesus Christ is sensitive to our needs. He cares, and he knows where you're hurting. He knows where you need direction. He knows what's been done to you. He knows what's been said to you. He, he knows how you feel. He knows the depression and discouragement, some of the doubt that you're going through, and he cares. We also see that he heals. He's the Lord who uses his authority over life to give life. He cares, and he has the power to show it. Even Jesus says that kind of faith just amazed him. So church family, nuns, you know, if you've never met Jesus Christ, let me introduce you to him. He's the Lord of all, and he has all the power, and he has compassion, and he heals the hurting He is worthy of your trust and your faith. The Roman centurion understood that. Do you, do you? He's caring. Second scene, we see that Jesus Christ is the son of God who responds to despair. And we see a widow now grieving over the death of her only son. And we see that in verses 11 through 17. The second thing we see about Jesus is that he's moved by our grief and despair. We see Jesus come in contact with a widow who is grieving and burying her only son. She's a widow. This means she lost her husband, and now she's losing her, she just lost her only son. I can't imagine the despair. This widow did not realize how her life was about to change. She wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for her. And she was about to come face to face with the Christ who cared for her. And just so you know, this is the same Christ who cares for you. He cares for you, and he knows what you're going through. And just like he was looking for this widow in her darkest hour, he's looking for you. Don't push him away. Don't push him away. And why is he looking for you? Because he cares for you. Man, he cares for you. Look at verse 13 and 14. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin And those carrying it stood still he said young man i say to you get up son had died her only son had died and jesus goes up and tells her don't cry you know he was not being insensitive here he was he was letting her know that he was getting ready to help her he's getting ready to comfort her he was telling her that he's getting ready to turn her tears into a testimony and and we see what happens when Jesus and death cross paths. He gave the crying mother her son back. He healed her son. I mean, that's how you stop a funeral. Jesus knows how to stop a funeral because Jesus is all-powerful. That's what I want you to see here. He's all-powerful. He's able to even conquer death. He's not merely the, the Lord over the living. He's also the Lord over death. He has the authority to reverse the power of death and give life again. Now, their response, verse 16, they were all filled with awe and they praised God. And they said, a great prophet has appeared among us. They were so close. It was so close to him yet, yet he's so much more than they thought. And they responded by saying, they said, God has come to help his people. And this news about Jesus spread throughout. What they were saying is, man, God is here. A A miracle has been done. And their words were truer than they really knew because God was with them. They were amazed at the miracle, but unaware of the savior. You see, when Jesus comes to somebody in complete despair in pain and loneliness and depression and hopelessness, it gives them a renewed hope. We see how Jesus Christ cares and he has the power over death and the grave. And now this widow, this grieving widow, now her life has new meaning, new purpose, and that she is not alone. And we need to know that. Death for the Christian is not the end. It's just the beginning. The Bible says for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ to be absent from the body, that means when our shell dies, and it's gonna die unless Christ returns first, the real you, your soul, your spirit is gonna live in eternity with Jesus as a believer in Jesus Christ. You choose to reject Jesus, say no, ignore him, not now. Well, you made a choice. God doesn't send anybody to hell. You choose where you're going to spend eternity by rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're going to be what Christ is not. And that's in hell. Only two places the Bible talks about heaven with Jesus or hell without Jesus. And it's your choice. And know God's heart. He wants you to spend time with him. He wants you to spend eternity with him. That's why Jesus came. But death is not the end for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus, it's just a transfer to eternity. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says death has been swallowed up in victory. Where o oh, death is your victory, where o oh, death is your sting, meaning as a Christian death has no victory, death has no sting, because once we die here, we're in the presence of Jesus Christ forever. He goes on he goes on to say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now perhaps you're like the widow and your heart has run out of hope. All kinds of things have happened to you, terrible things happened to you and you just feel like you lost all hope. You need to connect There may be some of you need to reconnect with the source of hope and that's Jesus Christ. With Jesus Christ, there's always hope, always hope. He's the Lord who responds to faith, he's caring. He's the son of God who responds to despair. He's all powerful, there's nothing he doesn't know, there's nothing he cannot do third saying we see Jesus is the Messiah who responds to our doubts and now we see a perplexed prophet of God John the Baptist who Jesus said and you read it when we read it he said there was no man greater born of a woman you know talking about a human person nobody greater John the Baptist is something else even according to Jesus and yet we see he went through a time where he had doubt this is the third scene of jesus and it's about the disciples of john the baptist telling john who's now in prison john the baptist is in prison for just speaking the truth and he tells us and disciples are telling john the baptist what jesus is doing in verse 19 he sends two of his disciples to jesus to ask him are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else now, that statement's amazing to me because here John, John the Baptist was a great servant of God. He spent his whole life preparing for the coming Messiah. He, he actually baptized Jesus Christ. And remember, we studied this in chapter 3, in Luke chapter 3. And when he was baptized, you know, a voice from heaven came and said, You are my son whom I love with you, whom I am well pleased. I mean, John's baptism was I mean, Jesus' baptism was Jesus going public with who he is and what he's getting ready to do. And John knew it. And John said, look, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He knew all that. Now he's in prison and he's got a period of doubt while in prison, which I I, I love this, this part of the Bible. It shows you how faith and doubt can find room in the same heart. You know, you can be a wonderful servant of God like John the Baptist, yet still have moments and seasons of intense doubt. When I hear some of the stories, what people have gone through and things that happen, and I know and I just see what's happening in the world, you know? Things don't happen the way we think they should and we're trying to do the right thing. I understand. And Satan would jump on you in those moments, come after you. Is Anybody could have moments and seasons of intense doubt. So if you struggle with doubt, and know that you are not alone. Know that you are not broken. Know that you are not a weak Christian. And understand that doubt is is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. But But I love Jesus' response to this. John's saying, hey, is Jesus, are you really who you say you are? I thought you were, but now I'm in prison and I'm wondering. And I love Jesus' response to John the Baptist. He does not rebuke John. He does not put him down. He simply says, give John the evidence he needs in order to regain his faith. And I love that. He goes, report back to John what you have seen and heard. Look, when the men, verse 20, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messenger, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me." He goes, go tell John, look look at the evidence. And he lists six different miracles that he was performing. And in that verse 23, blessed or happy is the person who doesn't fall away on account of me. He's saying, you tell John, keep on believing. In the end, you're going to be blessed. On the end, you're going to be happy. You know, just don't fall away. Hold on to what you know is true. Hold on to your faith in me. And what we see here is that Jesus is not only caring, not only all powerful, but he's very understanding. Jesus is very understanding. With a tender and compassionate heart, Jesus understands what he's going through. He understands what you're going through. And so you can safely bring your doubts to Jesus. He is the Messiah, like John the Baptist said earlier, he's the Messiah, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. He is the Messiah who responds to and answers our doubts. Do you know that the majority of those 36 million nuns in the United States that say they have no religious affiliation, majority of them, vast majority of them come from religious backgrounds. Most of them grew up in church. Only 9% of the nuns said they have no religious training in their life. What happened? Most of the nuns are people who started to begin to doubt. Things They were trying to do the right things. Things didn't happen like they should. They lost their feelings. They based all their commitment on their feelings. Things just happened. And so they stopped looking for the evidence for their faith, and they stopped following. It was just a a drift. They didn't mean to do it on purpose. They just stopped praying, reading the word, going to church. and, And Christianity is a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And like any relationship, if you don't spend time together, you don't talk, you don't listen to each other, you don't hang out, do things together, you will drift apart. And then they get to the point where they say they have no religion. Based on what Jesus said here, Luke 7, verse 23, he says... Those people have chosen the cursed path, not the blessed path, the cursed path. They've chosen that it's going to end in sorrow and in stress rather than joy and happiness and contentment. Because there's something about, there's something about knowing whose you are and where you came from and that you're not an accident, that God has a purpose for your life. And, and when, you're, when you die on this earth, you're not over. You're going to heaven for eternity, man, there's something. That changes everything, no matter what mess happens to you here on earth. The way to happiness is not to give in to your doubts. So if you're here this morning and you have doubts and you have questions and you're uncertain about certain things and you're a skeptic and you're searching for truth, I'm glad you're here. Man, you're very welcome. Doubters are very welcome here. Now, doubters, honest doubters, Those who are not just saying I don't believe because they don't want to believe, but people who truly doubt, once they resolve their doubt, you know what that leads to? An unshakable faith. It's a wonderful truth, in fact, that the greatest doubters often become the strongest believers once they work through their doubts. So, how do you handle your doubts and move to more faith? Quickly, five things. First, admit your doubt, admit it, and ask for help. Man. We all gone, let's be honest, we all gone through seasons of doubt. Strong believers have gone through seasons of doubt. We see John the Baptist going through a season of doubt. Admit it and ask for help. Two, recognize that your faith is a choice, it's not a feeling. See, a lot of us get in trouble when we don't have that feeling anymore. I'm not feeling it anymore when I go to church. I'm not going to go. I'm not feeling it when I read the Bible and pray anymore. I'm not going to do it. You're looking for that feeling. That's why people leave their marriages. I lost that feeling. And you try and find it with somebody else. I mean, that's not commitment. That's not commitment. That's not unconditional love. Commitment has nothing to do with your feelings. You know, you're committed to Christ. You're committed to each other in a marriage relationship. So recognize your faith is a choice you make. It's not based on how you feel. Feelings come and go and all kinds of things can affect our feelings. Third, doubt your doubt and believe your beliefs. That, that you know, you say, okay. Because what we tend to do is doubt our beliefs and believe our doubts. But we need to doubt your doubt and believe your beliefs. Four, and you do that by now looking at the evidence. Look at the evidence that we have in Christ. God never said check your brain at the door when you go to church, when you read the Bible. He gave you a brain to start with. This whole book of Luke, the reason we're studying it is because chapter 1, first couple verses, Luke wrote this to say, Jesus Christ, I want you to, he said, I I want to give you the evidence, and he actually uses that word, the evidence that Jesus Christ is certain and true. Look at the evidence that we have in Christ and follow the evidence to the truth. And then let God rebuild that evidence in your life that Jesus Christ is certain and true. He, He told him, go back and report to John what you've seen. Look at the evidence. Look at what I'm doing. Fourth thing is this. Understand there's some things that you and I will never understand on this side of heaven. There's some things that happen I will never understand this side of heaven. And probably even trying to understand it, if you could understand it, it wouldn't change anything. Man, you still be hurt, still be pain. But there's some things we're never going to understand. We're not God. Fifth thing is this. Keep going back to what you know is true. Keep going back to what you know is true. Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubt. Doubt makes us short-sighted. Faith gives us the long view. And God never turns away an honest doubter. He says, come to me. We see here that Jesus Christ is understanding. And he's the Messiah who responds and answers our doubt. Last scene, fourth scene, we see Jesus Christ is the Savior who responds to love. And we see him with a sinful woman. Some translations call her a harlot, a prostitute seeking a fresh start in verse 36 you know we read our final scene now one of the pharisees invited jesus to have dinner with him so he went to the pharisee's house reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that jesus was eating at the pharisee's house she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears then she wiped them with her hair kissed them, and poured perfume on them that sets up the scene put yourself in the place of the pharisee this guy was a religious man he's serious they're known for being serious about sin and holiness and morality and following the rules pharisees just don't invite anybody to their table he's taking a risk by inviting jesus to come to his table he was searching he knew something was different but now put yourself in the place of the woman She lived in that city. She knew what Pharisees were like. She knew they rejected sinners like her as unworthy. But Jesus was in the neighborhood, and that changed everything. What courage it must have taken for her to enter that Pharisee's house. What hope must have been in her heart when she gathered her most expensive possession. What brokenness must have been in her heart as she stood behind jesus christ weeping she knew she was a sinner better than anybody else did you see in the pharisees mind holy men don't allow sinners to touch them and if jesus was a prophet they thought they thought he was a prophet then he should be able to tell what kind of woman she was that she was a sinner like i said in verse 39 and so that Pharisees thinking she was a sinner and Jesus says he didn't recognize that he's allowing this woman to touch him he must not be a prophet either. So Jesus knew what was in the Pharisees' mind so he confronts his thoughts with a parable. And he tells a parable. What if a guy gave somebody what if a guy owed somebody 50 denarii which is about a day's wages, another guy owed him 500 denarii and this guy forgave both of them of their debt. The 500 denarii a day's wages, the 50 denarii. He forgave both guys' debts. He said, who do you think, who do you think is going to love that guy who got rid of their debt more? Of course, the, the Pharisee said the one who was forgiven more probably felt more kindly to the master. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled, he said there in verse 43. And then Jesus tells them the story. And Jesus talks to him in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon's the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pour oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so here we see, not only is Jesus caring and all powerful and understanding, but he's forgiving. He's forgiving this lady came to the house fully aware of her sin she knew firsthand the deep pain and brokenness of her life apart from the mercy of god but she sensed something about jesus and so she took that risk she understood that jesus could remove her guilt and remove her shame and grant her a new heart and give her a new future she knew that jesus is a savior who forgives the biggest sinner because the more you are forgiven man the more you are grateful and the bible is very clear when you and i come to christ and we repent that word repent means we turn away we turn away and ask forgiveness for our sins and we turn around and we turn to follow christ we ask forgiveness for our sins that he forgives us instantly the moment you ask he forgives us completely means every sin past present future he forgives you and i freely freely we can't earn it we definitely don't deserve it it's a gift from god when we truly ask and repent of our sins to be a big sinner is not the worst thing to not ask for forgiveness through faith in jesus christ that's a big thing that's the worst thing you can recover from a sinful past This church is full of people who have. That's who we all are. So it doesn't matter who you are. Maybe you're very religious. Maybe you're a nun, no religion. It doesn't matter what you have done or how long you have done it. I don't care if you got it all together or if you feel like your life's about to fall apart. You come to Jesus Christ, he can erase your shame. He can eliminate your guilt. He has the power to help you change. All you have to do is ask in faith, and you can be forgiven today. So we see faith, faith like the centurion had, that amazed Jesus. We see faith like the sinful woman here has, that brought forgiveness from Jesus. But we also see faith like Simon the Pharisee, I mean, he just missed it. He missed out, marveled at the miracles, but missed the Savior's but others like the sinful woman she found it which one are you will you believe and that word believe means put your trust in rely upon jesus christ as your lord and savior will you believe and be forgiven or will you be like simon the pharisee or like the nuns and have none of god's forgiveness none of god's peace none of heaven you must decide But what I wanted you to see is before you decide, you need to see who Jesus Christ really is. It's not about religion. It's not about being a Baptist. God sees the heart. Do you love God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins? Because Jesus Christ is everything that you need. He's the Lord who responds to faith. He's very caring. He's the son of God that responds to despair. He's all-powerful. He's the savior who responds to love. He's all-forgiving. He's the Messiah who responds to our doubts. Man, he's understanding. That's who he is. That's who you give your life to. That's who you're following the rest of your life. And that's followers of Christ. We're part of the family of God, and we want to come together, too, to remember Christ, to remember who he is and the sacrifice that he made on that cross for us, and to remember the difference that he can make and the difference that he had made. So I I want you to use this time as we take Lord's Supper to remember maybe what your life was like before you became a Christian. I know for me, even as a young boy, I was scared to death to die. I had no clue where I was going, and I knew there had to be more. I knew there had to be a purpose, too, for my life, I kind of like aimlessly. Things around me were good, but there was still something missing in my life, and I knew it. Think about how your life was before you met Christ, and then when, when you met Christ, what your life's like, and the difference he's made. And we need to remember that Jesus Christ is everything that you need. Let's pray. Let's get our heart right before we take the Lord's Supper together. Will you pray?